Good morning, everyone. Good evening, everyone. Uh, it's good to be here. Um, such an honor and privilege as youths to be given such uh, opportunity to minister to the church as young people. Um, it, it it gives us such uh, it gives us such confidence and um, a lot of uh, a grateful a grateful heart to be able to stand before you and minister in the word of God and some singing and praise. Uh, so this morning, this evening, uh, even as we come before the Lord, I want you, even as we begin to listen to the word this evening, to pray for me. Pray that I may speak the word of God, not my own thoughts. Pray that even as the word is being preached to you, your heart will be receptive, your heart will be uh, open up to receive this truth. And pray that no error from me, from the spooky to the flow of this evening. The enemy awaits by the door to steal the very word which will be yelling this. Pray that God will guard our hearts even as we listen to the word. So even as we pray, I want you to pray for me as well. Shall we look to the Lord in prayer? Our gracious my Father, we are so, so grateful for this day. But God can come before your throne and listen to your word. You are going to go to us through Monday. Tuesday was busy. Wednesday was busy. Thursday was busy. Friday was busy. Saturday was busy. But we come before you from this evening with our hearts yearning, hungering that your word be spoken to us. That our hearts may listen to you even as you speak to us. Our prayer this evening and then as we come before uh, the throne that you do not pass us by. May you visit us with mercy and may you touch us. If there be any among us who is dead in sin, God, do not pass them, but may you quicken them to life that they may receive the power and life that comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. We therefore pray that God, you begin with us and you end with us. In Christ's name we prayed. Amen. Amen. Uh, so we turn our Bibles to uh, the book of Jude, uh, the book of Jude, just after Deuteronomy, the book of Jude, just before liberation. So as we turning, as we are turning there, I want to remind you this evening that we are at war. There is a war raging on. The battle doesn't rage on in. In, in fields or in hair on the internet, it's raging on in the spirit, in our minds. Even as we stand here, there is a war going on. This is not a war which is using ammunition, rockets, bombs. It's a war of truth and lies. It's a war which is concerning your soul, my soul. This is a war we are in. And this is what the early churches were battling in. The early churches were anchored on the goodness and the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Satan came and kept in with certain teachings, with certain uh, 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 
attacks so it may destroy this very foundation and he brought in so many so many teachings in this and Jude, Jude as we will see here he addresses the worst of the kind in which uh, the, 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 the false teachers came and they were perceiving and they were distorting the very gospel and they, 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 they advocated for defilement of the body they rejected authority they denied the very existence of Christ and his resurrection from the dead and they went on to distort many many Christians so even as Jude addresses us today even as he addresses to these uh, early churches he focused on such teachings even today, not much has changed. Look around you. Open your internet. Walk through the streets. Travel through the bus. You will notice them. You will see them. They come dressed in sheep's clothing. They are holding their Bibles. They are speaking words which seems to be the gospel. But in them lies destruction. And in them lies the peril of our soul. What was like a little crowd, like a feast of a little crowd in, in Judah's day, in our day it has turned into a storm of an hurricane when it comes to the false teaching, where we see people are rising up and telling people, do this and you'll be served. Buy this water, eat this snake, jump like this, sow a seed, and you will be saved. These are the days which Jude had talked about. We are living in the very days which he talked about. So the question is, the question is not, is it among us? The question is, how more will it get? How worse will it get even as we wait upon the Lord? So even as we come before the scripture here, Jude is taking careful consideration of what was going on, what is going on, and is trying to address such an issue. So even as we listen to him teaching us this evening, let us pay attention. Lest our souls are swept away by the false words. Read with me the book of Jude, verse 1. Jude, a born servant of Christ Jesus, the brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered for all sins. Which was once and for all delivered for all sins. So in our discussion, in our preaching this morning, this evening, I'll touch on four things. We talk about the lighter himself, the recipient, the greeting, 
and the challenge or the injunction to contend for the faith. The writer, the recipient, the greeting, the challenge or the injunction to contend for the faith. So let's start with uh, the writer himself. Jude, a born servant of Christ, the brother of James. Let's stop there. Jude, many have argued, there were, there were about six Judes which are mentioned in the New Testament. Some say this is, this, this is a Jude which is found in Acts. But with all reasonable doubt, it says, it gives here a qualification, Jude, a brother of James. Jude means Judas in but most of our the, 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 the English translation, in order to distance or to, to, to not to bring the confusion of Judas, the famous Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus Christ, they choose to name the book Jude. In uh, Matthew chapter uh, 13, verse 5, it gives us where this Jude is coming from. This is the time when the Pharisees are speaking to Jesus Christ. And they go on to say, is this not the son of the carpenter? Is it not, is not the mother called Mary? And are not his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas here with him? So here we are given the, 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 the identity of the writer to, of the book of Jude. This was the brother to Jesus Christ himself, the brother to James, the writer of the book of James. But like Jude and all his brothers, they did not believe in Jesus Christ until after his resurrection. We hear in uh, John chapter 7 verse 5 where it says, not even his brothers believed him. But later on, when we hear they're waiting for the Holy Spirit in on the day of the Pentecost, in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, yet, and all those, and all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. After the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we had Jude and James and the brothers that come to believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. And look at how he introduces himself in the, in, the, in the passage before us. Jude, a born servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't go on to say, Jude, the brother of Jesus Christ. He doesn't go on to say, Jude, the one who is to sleep with Jesus in the same room. Jude, the one who is to pray with the very Jesus you are worshipping. But it takes a very different form. He humbles himself. He, he, he goes on to say, he considers himself to be a born servant of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is something, which tells us something about the humility of Jude himself. And he, he, he wants us to know that yes, Jesus Christ was my brother. Yes, Jesus Christ, I grew up, but there's something more. He is my master. He is my Lord. How many of our preachers and how many of people here claim that they have died and they have made and have gone and have met Jesus Christ and they have built their ministry on that? 
But him who had an encounter with Jesus Christ from the tender age, he grew up with him, he hated with him, he did not consider him in this human He considered himself to be a born servant for our Lord Jesus Christ. He humbled himself to be a servant to our Lord, even though Jesus Christ was his brother. He humbled himself in humility. Without doubt, Jude valued the fact that Jesus Christ was his half-brother and that he grew up in the same household as he did. But even more valuable to him was a new relationship which he had found with our Lord Jesus Christ. To Jude, the blood of the cross which saved him was more important than the family blood which ran through his veins. He considered himself to be a servant to him for Christ had saved him from unbelief and he has translated him to a, t- a place where he had believed and come to a self- saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He had humbled himself to be a servant to our Lord Jesus Christ. But quickly, we, uh, listen to how he addresses the recipients. Says, he goes on to say, to those who are called, Jude, a born servant of our Lord Jesus Christ and God, to those who are called, sanctified by, the, by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Jude wrote to Christian this. It is, it's not a, an evangelistic tract. He's not dealing with the unbelievers, but he's speaking to the believers, to Christians. He's speaking to them, to those who are called. And he's telling them to contend for the very first salvation which saved their soul. He identified the Christian in three ways. They are called, they are sanctified, and they are preserved. They are called, they are sanctified, and they are preserved. They are called. A person becomes a Christian because God calls him. If anyone among us is a Christian this evening, it's not because you were baptized. It's not because you come from a Christian family. It's not because you have done all good works. That's how you have been accepted in the, in, 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 in the household of God. It's because God called you once we were dead in sin. There was nothing good in us which could point us to Christ. But he called us out of the merry clay and he brought us on a solid rock. God called us. If anyone here is a Christian, it's the God, God called you. Turn with me to John chapter 6 verse 65. John chapter 6 verse 65 reads, and he said, this is why I told you that no one comes to me unless it is granted to him by my father. This was a time when Jesus Christ teached a hard teaching. When he said, anyone, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, follow me. He must take up and eat the, my body. And many of the Jews, the disciples who had been following, they began to depart from him. And he says, if, this is why I told you, if anyone, that no one can come to me unless the Father calls 
him to me. John chapter 6 verse 44, he says, No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So God calls. So, and here he says, to those who are called, God called you. You did not come to, to, to God yourself. Many a time he said, I became a Christian because I said a prayer one day. Or because I repeated after somebody. You know, it's because God called you. He showed you your own sinfulness. He showed you your own depravity. And he wooed you out from your own falsehood. And he gave you new life, new eyes, a heart of fresh from the heart of. And you are able to see your own sinfulness. You are able to see your own pale. And you cried out to God, save me lest I die. He called them, those who are called. Have you been called this evening? If so, have you answered the call? Or do you keep on postponing? How many times the sermons have been preached on this pulpit? How many times have you been uh, encouraged? Have you been uh, persuaded to learn to Christ? How many times are you going to postpone the call? For no one knows the day when they will die or when the Lord Jesus Christ will come. Now is the day. Now is the time for salvation. Look to God and he will save you. For it is him who calls us. It is him who woos us from the evil to his righteousness. But he goes on to say, not only are they called, but they are sanctified. He says, those who are called, sanctified by God the Father. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. If God gives you the grace to make you believe, he will give you the grace to live a holy life afterward. This means they are set apart. They are holy. Their life is marked with holiness. Their speech is seasoned with holiness. Their conduct is seasoned with holiness. Their pursuit in life is full of holiness because they are being sanctified. They do not, I'm not saying they do not sin, but they begin to sin lesser than we are sinning. If you look at your life, is God sanctifying you? Is He changing you? Are you becoming more like Christ? When you look at your life, how you were five years ago, a year ago, a month ago, are you seeing yourself to be changing? The things which you love, the things which you enjoy, the things which you struggle with, are you having victory? Are you loving more Christ? Are you living a, a more uh, holy life in your pursuit of God? Because if he has called you, you give you the grace to live a holy life. He doesn't just cause you, but he sanctifies you day by day through the means of grace. The meeting of uh, the, the, such meetings, the train, the holy communion, the time of fellowship with other believers. This is what it uses to sanctify us, to become more like him, like Christ. So he did not only call them, but he sanctified them. Are you living a life which is after God? 
are you becoming more like Christ? Not only were they called, not only were they sanctified, but he says those who are preserved. Jesus Christ is a guardian and protector of our soul. He keeps us. If Christ keeps you, he cannot lose you. You cannot lose your salvation because of him who keeps you. Listen uh, to a scripture again, uh, chapter 6 of John, verse 39, which he says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given, but raise it up, up on the last day. God will keep you. Christ will not lose you. If he has called you, if he's sanctifying you, you will not. You will go through trials. You will go through brutality. But God will keep you. And this is the marks of a Christian. You fall. You confess. You look to Christ. You forsake the old way. And you run to him because he's the one who keeps you. He cannot lose you. Christians are called out of the world from the evil spirit and the temper of it, called about the world to a higher and better things. They are called to heaven, things unseen and eternal. They are called from sin to Christ, from vanity to seriousness, from uncleanness to holiness. And all this in accordance to the divine purpose and grace. If you are sanctified and glorified, all glory and honor goes back to God and Him alone. We are called from vanity to seriousness. We are called from sin to holiness. We are called from out of the world, above the world, unto Christ. We are called to live lives that are worthy of the gospel and of him who has called us. The greeting. Look at how he addresses them. To those who are called, sanctified by God and preserved in Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Jude, even as this he speaks these things in, in in the heart of in the heart of Jude. It's not enough that mercy and peace and love be added to them. He wants them to be multiplied. He wants them to be flowing, to be fruitful, to thrive in mercy, in peace, in love. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Listen to how Benes uh, puts it. These things are mentioned as a choicest blessing which could be conferred on a Christian. Mercy is a pardon in which our sins have been pardoned to him and we have been accepted by God himself. He, we did not deserve anything. The, what we deserve was the wrath of God. We deserve to be cast in hell. But he, in his mercy, he sent his son for us. 
In his mercy, he rescued us from the shackles of the enemy and he gave us to the kingdom of his son. That is mercy. When we deserved death, he gave us life. When we deserved hell, he gave us heaven. That's mercy. He called us from the dying to the living. He showed us mercy. He said, let this mercy be multiplied to you. Every day, when we sin, we deserve that the ground will just open up and follow us. But he gives us the sun. He gives us the rain. He gives us food on our table. Because his mercies are new every day. This is mercy. He says, be multiplied to you. God and the Christian experience the choices of blessing by receiving mercy. But it goes on to say that peace, peace with God, peace with our neighbors and fellow men, peace with our own consciousness. We are no longer held captive by the guiltness of our own consciousness. We are at peace with our conscience because of the cleansing power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are at peace even in the prospects of death. Those who have, Christ, who have died in Christ, even at their deathbed, they have looked to Christ and they have smiled to him saying, I give my life to you, my soul to you. Look at Stephen. He's being stoned. He had every reason to revile, to insult, to scream at the people who are stoning him. But he smiled at him and he looked to heaven because he had been given hope. He cries out to them, God, forgive them. Forgive them because of the peace which, which is conferred for those who are called, those who are sanctified, those who are preserved. Not only do they experience mercy, they experience peace. But also love. Love to God. Love to our fellow brethren and love to the world itself. We can only love when we have been loved. You can only pour out if something has been poured in you. Many of us are bitter because we have not experienced God's love. If God has touched you, how deep the Father's love that should be called the children of God. He says, behold, that's how John begins in John chapter 1 verse 3. Behold, he says, stop and wonder how deep the Father's love that he has ravished. He just didn't put a drop. He ravished. He poured. He poured. He, the whole body was wet. He poured the whole soul. Was wet. How deep the Father's love that we should be called the children of God. If God has loved you, if God has poured his love to you, you will experience this love, the love to God, to your brothers, to the world. You will be moved when they say, let us give out to those who are in need. You will be moved when you see people who are in need. You will be moved when you see people who are living in sin because the love which God so loved us that he gave us his son will be persuading you to love them that are living in sin. Them that are suffering. Them that are in the shackles of the enemy. This is the greeting which confers to them. 
Oh, how a blessing it is to have peace. How a blessing it is to have mercy every day and to experience this overwhelming love which is shed so broadly in our soul. Not only that, but here we go and say, let this be multiplied to you. That's my prayer for you and me. That each day as we live, that this mercy, this peace, this love be multiplied to us. Be multiplied to us. So if you are a Christian and ask this, is mercy, love, and peace being multiplied to you? Are there, is there anything, are there, is there any besetting sin, habit, which is stealing your peace, which is stealing uh, the love? Is there anything in your life? If so, you need to ask yourself, has it called me? And let's, let's look at the challenge or the injunction which he gives. Verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to lie to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to lie to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to all sinners. We might say, this was a letter which was never intended to be written. He says, I wanted to write to you concerning our salvation, but I, I, I found it necessary that I should write to you, exhort to you, to contend for the faith which we have once and for all received. Is preaching against dangerous practices and doctrine which put the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in peril. These things were serious. It involved our soul. It involved our salvation. And Jude dealt with them seriously. He dealt with them seriously. Look at me, look at this phrase which he gives you. Beloved, while I, I was very diligent to lie to you concerning our common salvation, concerning our common salvation, our salvation isn't common in the sense that it is cheap or in the sense that everyone has it. Here it says, it is common in the sense that we are saved in the same way. We are saved, we are saved in common. We are saved in a community. God does not have one way for the rich, another way for the poor. He does not have one way for the good, another way for the bad. God saves us the same. We come to God the same way. If it isn't a common salvation, it isn't God's salvation, and it isn't salvation at all. Timoth is written by Paul, says, For there is only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man 
Christ Jesus Christ. If you didn't come to the saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you didn't pass through Christ as the only mediator, you need to ask yourself, there's only one common salvation which is shared and enjoyed among all Christians. God saves us the same through our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to climb out mountain. You don't have to go to that country. You don't have to go to that pastor. You don't have to go to that prophet for you to be saved. You don't have to work so hard your life for you to be accepted in Christ. You don't have to go throughout all these things for you to be accepted. It's only by you believing, trusting all your life in him, our Lord Jesus Christ, that you are saved. The merit of us entering uh, heaven is based on us believing in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's only him who saves and it's only him who keeps. So, so to be a Christian means to stand shoulder to shoulder with millions of Christians, not only those who have gone before us, but also throughout the world. Christian in Afghanistan, Christian in America, Christian in South Africa, Christian in Pakistan, Christian in Japan, Christian in America. We stand shoulder in shoulder with him. We stand on the common basis of being saved by our Lord Jesus Christ. We are part of this invisible army, the mighty army that spans out through generation, through continents, through borders and through generation. And when we stand, we stand with strong Christian and weak Christian. We stand with uh, courageous Christian and coward Christian. We stand with old Christian and young Christian. We stand common before God. He keeps us. It's a mighty army with God except for himself. We are common to live in a community of being saved by our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to how Spurgeon puts this. He says, upon other matters, there are distinction among believers. Some have got different uh, times when they eat the Holy Communion, when they come to church how they believe certain uh, teachings. But yet there is a common salvation enjoyed by the Armenian as well as the Calvinists, possessed by the Presbyterians as well as the Episcopalians, prized by the Pentecostals and also enjoyed by the Baptists. There is only one common salvation. That is our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are in Christ are more nearer of kin than they know. Their, their intense unity is in deep essential truth is, greater, is a greater force than most of them can imagine. They have been held together by the truth that Christ died for them. He saved them and is keeping them and they stand on his promises. This is who we are when we come before our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So he goes on to say, I found it necessary to write to exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. Earnestly for the faith. So the, the, the ancient Greek translates the word contend comes from an athletic world, from a wrestling, not the one which you watch on TV where somebody jumps on the rope, he jumps on the other one, he throws them out of there. This is a wrestling where they would be on the wrestling match and they'll be contending, trying to wrestle the other one up to the, uh, 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 down the mat. And they would struggle, they would struggle until they contend, until he knocks over. This is a picture which he is using here, Jude. Contend for your faith. Hold on. It, it comes with, a, with, with the same strength and the loot from the word agonize. We are agonizing. We are holding on. We are contending with diligence, with hard work. You do not sit down in a chair and forward the message which says, forward this message that Christ is God. No, you sit down, you contend for the faith. When you go into your workplace, when somebody is, 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 is speaking against your God, you speak and you contend the truth. When somebody posts heresy on the media, you contend with them because they, many people who read that, we will be lost. You are earnestly, you are listening, you are holding on to the faith because this is a precious thing which you are. And this brings us, why should we agonize? Why should we contend? Because the faith we have, because what we have is valuable. It is precious. It is priceless. The gospel, the faith, which was once and for all delivered to us, it is a valuable uh, uh, faith. Many people have lost their life for this. They were thrown into two. They were cast in lions then. They were destitute. They were they walked naked. They were hanged. They were pinned. They were burnt alive. They passed on. They contended until it came to us. And now it's our time to carry on the mantle to the next generation. We need to contend for the gospel. We need not to just be passive. Ah, Luavo. You need to contend. When somebody speaks wrongly, contend. Why should we? Because it is valuable. It's a valuable faith that we have. Psalms 119.72 puts it this way. The law of thy mouth is better to me than thousand gold and silver pieces. It is far more precious than anything else I can give. Anything else, all the gold, all the pieces that you can give me, it is far more precious than this. Supposing you walk into a hut gallery, and there you find there's no guard at the road, uh, at, the, at the gate. There's no security system, there's no shutterproof, there are no alarms, there are no lasers, there's just, the art is just there. If you walked in such a gallery, you only come out with one conclusion. That whatever is in that gallery is not variable. Because something variable is guarded. Something variable is protected. Something variable is, 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 is protected. 
if we cannot contend for our faith, which is precious, how ought we to live? We need to live our lives that are worthy of the gospel, where we contend earnestly for the gospel because it is involving the souls of many, those that are living in darkness, those that are living in the, in, 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 in the kingdom of darkness, they that receive the word of God, they find healing, they find salvation. This is a valuable faith uh, which was once and for all. Anyone who distorts this, distorts and, 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 and fights or distorts someone's own salvation, and they can lose their soul forever. We ought to contend. But it's not enough to say we ought to contend. How ought we to contend for this faith? So we ought to contend in three ways. The positive way, the negative way, and the practical way. The positive way, the negative way, and the practical way. So in the positive way, so in the positive sense, we need, we need to give our unflinching witness. How we live our lives ought to point everybody to Christ. How we conduct ourselves, we ought to be unflinching. We ought not to be stained by the world. When somebody walks here, ah, even him comes here. They are questioning how you conduct your life. We need to give our unflinching witness about who we believe, how we have been served. We ought to attend church meetings. It, 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 when you attend such meetings, you are contending, you are encouraging, you are encouraging. When we come together in fellowship, we are encouraging one another. This is how you contend. In a positive sense also, we contend when we make possible for faithful men to having opportunity to listen to faithful teaching. We ought to support those who are going to Kabbalah, those who are coming uh, to church. We ought to, to, to support them. We are contending for them to be equipped in light teaching, in light uh, truth, so that when they speak and stand, they will speak the truth. This is how we contend in a positive way. We, but also we, we contend when we strengthen the hands of the faithful, men and women who are preaching the gospel. When we support our pastor, when we pray for him, when we pray for our elders, when we pray for our deacons, we are contending because we are praying that God will keep them, that the enemy will not swift away the chaff, them away the chaff. This is how we contend. We pray for them. We encourage them. We support the ministry of those who are preaching the true gospel. But in a negative way, we contend by withholding our, the support and encouragement to those who are preaching falsely, the false teachers. You not ought to always like everything on Facebook which says, like this and you'll be blessed. You ought not always listen to certain preaching because by doing so, you are also supporting the negative or their false teaching. We, you, we ought to resist. We ought not to encourage that. That is in the negative way. But in the practical sense, we, when we live uncompromising lives, 
when we give all the credit to God, we are contending for the gospel. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says, And they overcame him by the power of the blood and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives, but they gave it all for the gospel. That's how we ought to live. If we have been called, if we are being sanctified, if he has preserved us, we ought to contend for the gospel. We ought not to give any room for the enemy to distort the gospel, the faith which was once and for all. No one will come and say I have a new liberation because once and for all the gospel, the canon has been given to us. Unless they're speaking according to the, the Bible, we ought to contend for this for our soul, our family's soul, our neighbor's soul, our workmates' soul. They depend on this gospel. May God bless the vision of this God. So we look the Lord in prayer. Our gracious my Father, we are so, so grateful for this story. We are so grateful that God, even at this time, you were able to speak to us how we ought to live our lives that are preaching in the witness of who you are. How that you have called us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. How that you are sanctifying us every day even as you listen to faithful men and preach the gospel. Even as we read our Bibles, even as we pray, even as we uh, encourage one another in fellowship, our prayer that God may keep us. The enemy awaits at the door to steal this word. But may we walk in the light of your ladies and your glory. That it may keep us from stumbling. That our lives will be a light to the dying world. A city only here which cannot be hidden. May we contend for the faith which was once and for all given for us. And we will do this if so, you allow us to do so. Even as we do so, may you keep us with my knowledge and with grace and with the merit of God. May we stand in honor of you for all glory and all honor and adoration belongs to you. Jesus is in the fridge. Amen.